This audio is brought to you by MuslimCentral.com. Hello everyone. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. A'udhu billahi sami'i min ash-shaytan rajim. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wal'udwani illa ala al-zalimeen. Wal'aqibatu lil-muttaqeen. Allahumma salli wa sallam wa barak al-abdika wa rasulika Muhammadin sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam tasliman kathira. So in the midst of all of the important conversations that are happening right now, um, in our community, um, and inshallah ta'ala, I, I pray that we are all able to grow. Obviously, one of the things that is being discussed is the racism that goes unchecked in our own communities. And I wanted to use this opportunity, this particular moment, to speak about a, uh, a very special incident in Islamic history to help us understand the shift of mindset that the companions of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam experienced in the midst of all that was happening, to speak about the shift in their thinking and then how they were able to articulate that shift in their thinking, both internally with those who had not undergone the tarbiyah, the process of purification and mentorship and character building that they had gone through, and those that lived outside of their context and in neighboring nations of the world, the neighboring tribes uh, of the Arabs, and they were able to convey their shift in perspective. And some of the greatest lessons in what Islam was meant to bring to the world come through those initial conversations between uh, rulers and uh, the ambassadors, the emissaries of Muslims, as they were going out to, to meet these different rulers and these different leaders in the world, because they were forced to encapsulate in just a few sentences what Islam meant to them, what Islam meant to the world, and what it was to mean particularly to that group of people now that were being approached with Islam. And so the initial conversations between the Sahaba, uh, the companions that had lived with the Prophet wasallam and undergone that transformation, and the people of Mecca in Fatih Mecca, in the opening of Mecca, where racist comments were hurled, hurled towards Bilal anhu as he ascended the Kaaba to make the adhan for the first time. And those people had not been in the presence of the Prophet, peace be upon him, and undergone what the Prophet ﷺ had put the companions through to purge that evil disease from their hearts and from their societies. And then you have the story of you know the, the Muslims uh, as they were on the hijrah prior to that, the migration, the famous incident between Abu Dhar radiallahu ta'ala anhu and Bilal radiallahu anhu, where Abu Dhar insulted Bilal, Many of the uh, companions or many of the scholars point to the fact that Abu Dhar was not amongst those that were present with the Prophet ﷺ for all of that time. He came and he accepted Islam and he left. And when he came back on the hijrah uh, to join the Muslims on the migration, he had not gone through the tarbiyah, the, the character building yet that the Muslims had gone through. And so he hurled what was very common in the days of ignorance at Bilal radiallahu anhu when he said, Yabna Sauda, O son of a black woman. So a lot of these conversations took place between Muslims who had been around the Prophet and nurtured with the prophetic methodology for so long and those that had not experienced the Prophet before those moments. So I want to speak about um, this particular companion, this particular incident and frame it in a certain way, inshallah ta'ala, that hopefully we can all benefit from. And I'll start with a story that many of you may have heard. Uh, the story is one in which the Prophet, peace be upon him, uh, visits the house of Umm Haram bint Milhan. 
And Umm Haram bint Milhan, may Allah be pleased with her, is the aunt of Anas ibn Malik radiallahu anhu, the sister of Umm Sulayn radiallahu anha. And she's one of the first to accept Islam from Medina. She's an Ansari woman and one of the first to accept Islam in Medina and uh, was very close to the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And some of the narrations say she was his sister uh, through rida'ah, through breastfeeding. Um, so uh, the, the ties of kinship had been established as well. And uh, the Prophet ﷺ once fell asleep uh, on a visit. He took a nap on a visit to the home of Umm Haram bint Milhan anha, And he woke up smiling ﷺ. And when the Prophet ﷺ woke up smiling, she said to the Messenger of Allah ﷺ, May Allah keep you smiling. What is it that caused you to smile? And so the Prophet, peace be upon him, goes on to say, that I had this dream last night. And in this dream, or rather uh, in this in this short nap that the Prophet Sallallahu took, in this dream, he said, I was shown some of the people of my ummah and they were traveling through the seas. They were traveling through the seas. And so as they were traveling through the seas to spread Islam, uh, the Prophet Sallallahu ta'ajjab, he was, he was amazed by that because these were not people, the companions had not seen the water. They were... Uh, they lived in the desert. They were not used to that. And the fact that they were spreading Islam through the seas uh, was very special. And the Prophet Sallallahu described them like kings on their thrones. So the Prophet Sallallahu described the special group of his ummah that would spread the message of Islam through the seas. And Umm Haram bint Milhan did not think at that moment about any obstacles to her. She didn't think at that moment, well, that can't be me. Uh, she immediately asked the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, O Messenger of Allah, Pray that I am amongst them. Pray that I am amongst them. Supplicate that Allah include me amongst those people that you have just seen. And the Prophet ﷺ recognizing the sincerity. And of course, Allah uh, recognizing the sincerity of Umm Haram bint Milhan said, you are amongst them. You will be amongst them. SubhanAllah, later on we fast forward and we find that this woman, Umm Haram bint Milhan, traveled with the companions on battle and she, uh, she was with the Muslims that went to Cyprus, that traveled on ships to Cyprus. And she was with her husband. And as she got to Cyprus, as she got off of the ship, she tripped and, uh, and, and fell and died as a result of that fall and was the first of the Muslims to die in Cyprus. And they actually have a grave uh, for her today. They still have a tomb for her today in Cyprus that is marked and well-known, radiallahu ta'ala anha, a woman that had her sincerity acknowledged and recognized by the Prophet of Allah and then was given that great reward, was one of those people that the Prophet wasallam had saw in that dream of a group of, of, of kings, of a group of leaders, of, of a group of special people from this ummah. So she passed away in Cyprus in the year 27 after Hijrah, radiallahu ta'ala anha. Now, who was her husband and who was the person that brought Islam uh, to her in the first place? Her husband was Ubadat ibn Samit, radiallahu anhu, Ubadat ibn Samit. And before I talk about Ubadat ibn Samit, I want to say that one of the problems with how we talk about black sahaba, black companions, and you know, a few years ago I did a lecture uh, called Black and Noble, a long uh, a long class on some of the black prophets and companions that we're, that are often not spoken about. And this comes from Ibn al-Jawzi, rahimahullah. This is uh, not something that was just done now. Ibn al-Jawzi, rahimahullah, wrote Tanweer al-Ghabash 
uh, a book on, on, on the notable black companions. Um, we find this from uh, Imam Suyuti, rahimahullah, uh, you know, writing about some of these great um, uh, black scholars and prophets in history. And uh, Sidi Dawood uh, Walid, Sheikh Dawood Walid, uh, may Allah bless him, actually compiled a book on, uh, on, on black nobles. And we find so many different uh, sources to pull from that talk about this. And one of the problems with how we talk about Bilal anhu, in particular is that we exoticize Bilal to a point that we leave some of those other companions out. So if you watch the movie The Message, and wallahi, it was a beautiful movie, and, and it's a great contribution to our time. Uh, the movie Arisala brought great uh, pride and love uh, to the, the religion for many people who ex, you know, were exposed to Islam or exposed to Islam in a very unique way when they watched the movie Arisala, the message, is that Bilal who stands out as if he's this lone black companion of the Prophet And then the story of Bilal who gets exoticized. Now, when I say it gets exoticized, that doesn't mean that it's uh, overestimated or that his position in Islamic history is overestimated. If anything, his position is underestimated. The role of Bilal in so many different ways is underestimated. The virtues of Bilal But Bilal being looked at as this, uh, as this unique you know, uh, black companion that was saved by the rest of the, of the Muslims who were not black gives us a, a distorted image of the early Muslims. And we leave some of the people out, some of them that were uh, the mother of the Prophet Sallallahu after his mother, Umm Ayman radiallahu anha, Usama ibn Zayd radiallahu anhu, the first commander uh, of the Muslim army. And the list goes on and on and on and on of people that were surrounding the Prophet Sallallahu that the Prophet Sallallahu put in important positions. And uh, in the process of that, chipped away at any ism that would take away from Islam, tribalism, nationalism, racism, all of the isms, right, that would take away from the beauty of Islam shining forth uh, in, in a wonderful way. And so Rubadat ibn Samit radiallahu ta'ala anhu is, uh, is the man that I want to talk about today and, a very, and get to a very particular incident with him. He's the husband of Umm Haram bint Milhan. He is a man who served as a companion of the Prophet he was a leader he was a judge, he was a scribe, he was a warrior. Uh, he held many roles in the time of the Prophet ﷺ. He was one of the first Ansar. Um, you know, there were two bay'ahs, uh, two pledges. Uh, Bay'atul Aqaba took place with the Prophet ﷺ twice. Uh, Rubadah radiallahu anhu was one of the first group, uh, which was a handful of people that came from, at that time, Yathrib, uh, which is Medina, to meet the Prophet ﷺ in Mecca privately to take the pledge with him, and then came back the next year to take the pledge with the Prophet ﷺ once again with a larger group, brought their people with them. Ubadah radiallahu ta'ala anhu is one of those people, and he is one of those that's distinct in that he accompanied the Prophet ﷺ in every battle. And on top of that, the Qur'an that you read, the Qur'an that you read, Ubadah ibn Samit was one of Kutab al-Wahi. He was one of those that the Prophet ﷺ entrusted with writing the revelation as it came uh, from Allah through Jibreel ﷺ to the heart of the Prophet ﷺ and then to the tongue of the Prophet ﷺ, captured in the pen of very special people. Ubadah ibn Samit was one of Kutab al-Wahi, one of those that wrote the Qur'an as the Prophet ﷺ spoke the Qur'an as it was revealed to him. So he holds uh, an incredible position in Islamic history, 
from the early days of the Prophet ﷺ throughout the lives of Khulafa al-Rashidin, uh, ultimately dying in Palestine uh, as, as a judge, in Palestine as a judge, and someone that was, uh, that was notable for, for many reasons. But one of the things about Ubadat ibn Samad is that he had an imposing presence. He had a distinct presence. Uh, he is described عنhu, as being shadid al-sawd, very black, very black. So not just uh, kind of, uh, of dark, but very black. He's described عنhu, as being very tall. So not just tall, but very tall. He's described as being very handsome. Okay, and a person of extreme beauty. That if you looked at Ubadat ibn Salman radiallahu anhu, you were you were uh, captured by his beauty. Uh, defined features. This has how Imam al-Dhabi rahimahullah uh, describes him. That every part of him radiallahu taala anhu was extremely pronounced. That uh, he was extremely strong and and very defined, and his muscles were very defined. So he was a strong man radiallahu taala anhu. And they said that if you one of the uh, one of the, uh, the 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 books mentions that his forearm was too big to be grabbed by two hands because of how strong he was, uh, anhu. So he had an imposing physical presence, and then he had an incredible uh, command of speech. And so when he spoke, he spoke uh, in in a, in a very strong way. And everyone in the room would naturally be silenced by the speech of Ubadah because of how, uh, how eloquent he was. So he, he's really a person who has a presence, an imposing presence in a beautiful way. Uh, and uh, as someone who was Bedri, who accompanied the Prophet in, in, in the Battle of Badr throughout all of his battles and then accompanied uh, and led uh, expeditions and armies under uh, the Khulafa al-Rashidin, um, you know, his presence was not just felt amongst the companions but there's a very particular incident where Ubada leads the, uh, the, the, the first delegation uh, under uh, Amr ibn As to Egypt, to Masr. And uh, as he is on his way to, or as he arrives in Egypt, and this is the year 641, uh, 641, where uh, the the Muslims arrive in Masr. And this is within the overall uh, battles between the Byzantines and the Muslims at the time. And they are an army uh, of many. Uh, but in front of that army, there are 10 men that serve as a delegation to speak to the ruler of Egypt at the time. And that is a man by the name of Al-Muqawqis. So the Egyptian king or the Egyptian ruler, Al-Muqawqis, is holed up. And he comes out to meet this delegation that is representing this large army of Muslims that have come. And Ubadah steps forward as the leader of this army. And this was not something that these people, again, this is, this is a, a Roman installed uh, leader. They don't understand what they're seeing right now. They don't get it. And it's, it's really interesting because you, you know of the very famous incident between Rabi ibn Amr and uh, Rustum in Persia, and like, who is this guy, right? That that speaks and says, uh, we we are people that in Allah that we are people that have been sent to liberate people from being slaves to other slaves to being slaves to the Lord of all slaves, and from the constriction of this world, from the constriction of this world to the expanse of the of this life and the hereafter. 
and from the injustice of all other systems to the justice of Islam. Uh, so they articulate themselves beautifully to describe Islam and encapsulate Islam. Well, here, Al-Muqawqis comes out, this ruler of Egypt, and he sees this large delegation of companions, this large army, um, and they're being led by a, a very black man, right? A very black man. And so he sees Ubadah, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, and as Ubadah steps forward, Al-Muqawqis disrespects him in many ways. So first he looks around him, right, to suggest this can't be the guy that's actually going to speak to me, right? This can't be your leader. Who is sending uh, Ubadat ibn Samit or who's sending this man to speak on their behalf? I want to see who the actual uh, leader is. And so he looks around him and then realizing that Ubadah radiallahu ta'ala anhu is actually the leader of this army, he says uh, to uh, he says to him he says ibidu anni dhalik al aswad he said uh, uh, send this black man back waqaddimu ghayrahu liyukallimuni and put forth someone else to speak to me put forth someone else to speak to me so ibidu anni dhalik al aswad take this black man away from me and put someone else forward to speak to me i'm not even going to speak to him and he's speaking to uh, the inferiors of Ubadat ibn Samit anhu, in this regard because he is the one that is leading this delegation, leading this army. And the response was from those other people, wa that this person is the best of us in knowledge and wisdom. And they said, and he is our leader, Amiruna. He is our leader and he is the best of us. And he's been appointed over us. And he said that, uh, they, they responded and they said, we defer to him both in terms of opinion and in terms of uh, orders, in terms of taking orders because he has been placed over us. And verily to us, to us, both black and white are the same. No one is superior to the other except by their deen. No one is superior or made more noble in the sight of Allah, except by their religion, except by virtue of their of, of their piety. And that's how we consider a person uh, to be greater. And that's how we give people, um, you know, the, the uh, position in our religion. Now, when they said that to Muqawqis, this is, uh, <laughs> this is not normal to him. And so Al-Muqawqis, he, he speaks to the delegation once again over Ubada. So he's he's still not even acknowledging the presence of Ubadat ibn Samit. And he says, how could you accept this black man to be the best amongst you where he should be the least amongst you? So this is a person that should be considered the least amongst you. And he's speaking over Ubadah, which is just inherent disrespect, right? He's the one who's leading the delegation. And they respond and they say that uh, that, that even though he is black, he is the best in status amongst us. He is the foremost amongst us and the wisest. And we do not deem blackness as something that is bad amongst us. So we don't see blackness as an issue. We don't see it as something that detracts. So it's not that he's exceptional, uh, you know, even though he's black. He is exceptional and his skin color does not matter. That's not how we, we judge in our religion and amongst our ummah, amongst our people. SubhanAllah, you're seeing these concepts being floated in this conversation, in Akramakum Indullahi Atqaqum, the most noble of you in the sight of God is the one who is most pious. So Al Muqawqis, 
he finally uh, resigns himself to having to speak to Ubadat ibn Samit after disrespecting him this way, after failing to even acknowledge uh, his, his presence. And he says to him, uh, come forward, O black man. And he said, and speak gently because your blackness scares me. And if you speak harshly, you'll scare me even more. So now he makes a racist insult towards Ubadat ibn Samit himself to his face, addressing him directly. Ubadah radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he comes forward and listen to what Ubadah says to him. Ubadah is a smart man and he is uh, he, he's using the, the moment uh, to, uh, to his advantage. So he says that uh, I've heard what you said. I heard everything that you just said about me and everything that you just said to the people around me. And he responds and he says, but if you're scared of me, he said, listen, I have left behind me this army of thousands of people behind me. There are a thousand men who are all as black as me. In fact, they're blacker than me and they'll scare you even more. <laughs> so he's speaking to him, using the moment to humiliate him and to say, look, I'm not the only black man that's here. I'm leading this army, but there are a thousand men behind me that are as black as me. And if you're scared of me, you're going to be scared of them as well. And he said, but nevertheless, he said, I would not be scared if a hundred men of my enemy would face me all at once. And he said, and the same is true for each one of them. Meaning each one of us is willing to fight a hundred of you. Each one of us is willing to fight a hundred of you. I'm not scared. Rabada, by the way, at this point is an, is an older man. So he, he acknowledges, he says, I'm a, you know, my youth is gone, but I'll still fight. Uh, as, as many of you as, you as you put forward. And he said, for our hope and our desire to strive in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is to strive in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to seek the pleasure of Allah. And then he continues on. Ubadah radiallahu anhu gives this long um, speech. And you could look it up, uh, you know, the, the, the speech between Ubadah and, and Muqawqis. But he talks about how uh, we are not a people who who fight out of the uh, out of the desire to accumulate wealth? We're a people that fight in the desire to please Allah. We're a people that do not care about how much gold is put forward, about what spoils are put forward. We're a people that are fighting out of something that's more noble uh, than this. And so he immediately deters any element of Mukawqis to try to buy him off and to try to uh, to bribe him to stop what is going to happen. And so Al-Muqawqis, as he hears the speech of Ubadat ibn Samit and the power of those words, the integrity and the nobility of those words, he says to him, uh, he says to those that are around him, he says, هَلْ سَمِعْتُمْ مِثْلَ كَلَامِ هَذَا قط? He says, Muqawqis says to, to those that are the Byzantine commanders, he said, have you ever heard a person speak the way that this man is speaking? Have you ever heard a person speak the way that this man is speaking? He says, لَقَدْ هِبْتُ مَنْظَرَ He said, I was afraid of the way that he looks. He said, but what he said actually scares me more than how he looks. <laughs> I was alarmed by his looks because he's a racist, right? And he put him down and he degraded him and he tried to use that as an excuse. Uh, and, he, and he tried to demoralize the Muslims and it didn't work. And he said, but the words of Ubadah, the words of Ubadah capture me even further 
than the uh, than than the the scene than the site of Ubadat ibn Samit radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Dear brothers and sisters, I uh, I shared this incident with with us for many reasons. That it's not enough for us to simply cling to the Bilal's of the world and the one or two stories of the world and to say that uh, Islam has done away with these things. It, it has to be a shift in mindset. It has to be a shift from within the community. And so listen carefully, listen carefully to the experiences that people have had in the community, particularly black people have had in the community of racism. Listen carefully to what we need to do as a Muslim community to live true to our Islam, because the only way that we can give Islam to the world as a solution is if we are applying Islam as a solution to racism within our community right now. And that's actually the point, is that Ubadat ibn Samit was not speaking to the resentment of those that were behind him. The people behind Ubadah spoke on his behalf, repelling the racism that was being thrown at Ubadah radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Ubadah did not have to highlight what Islam had done to, uh, to, to, to bring equality and to bring justice. Ubadah radiallahu ta'ala anhu stood there in his full earned nobility and dignity while the other companions came forward and the others made it a point to say, this is what Islam has done for us. This is how the words of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, as he was giving his last farewell address, and the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam mentioned that there is no superiority of an Arab over a non-Arab, or vice versa, and no superiority of a white man over a black man, or vice versa. Uh, this is how it penetrated our hearts. This is how in akramakum indallahi atqaqum that the most noble of you in the sight of God is the most pious has actually penetrated our behaviors. This is how things have shifted for us. And so when we, you know, post empty quotes uh, to the world, when we use Malcolm's words from Hajj while ignoring Malcolm's politics post-Hajj and Malcolm's uh, pleas and cause post-Hajj as well, when we, uh, when, when we put out there Islam is a solution to the world, but we are not living that solution within our Muslim community, then we have to ask ourselves why and what do we do better? What do we do better? And so no amount of conversation is going to change that unless our hearts are open to those conversations and we start asking ourselves, you know, how do I contribute ta'ala to living that reality that we see here from the companions of the Prophet as a result of the presence of the Prophet We have the message of Muhammad, peace be upon him, amongst us. And that message should have that same effect on us ta'ala. So we pray that Allah... We pray that Allah expel this disease of racism and all of its political, social, cultural, theological manifestations. We pray that it be expelled from our masajid. We pray that it be expelled from our community lives. We pray that it expelled that it be expelled from our family lives. We pray that it be expelled from our systems. We pray that it be expelled in all of its monstrosity in the most meaningful way. And that we are able to usher in the Muhammadan spirit, that way of the Prophet ﷺ, that transformed his community first to our own community to live that 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 way of the Prophet ﷺ, and then to bring that to the world around us as well. Allahumma amin. Jazakumullah khairan wa sallallahu wa sallam ala Nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.